was trying to figure out what the hell is all the hype about. So I went on my Spotify and I was listening to like some of her songs. I was like, Antihero's a little bit of a jam. Sip and Chat Cafe. Welcome to Sip and Chat Cafe, a safe space for stimulating conversations. No topic is off limits. If it matters to you, it matters to us. I'm your host, Atara, and our producer, Motown Maurice. I'm so excited to be here for our first episode of Sip and Chat Cafe. Today's topic is vulnerability. And I googled vulnerability, and this is what the definition is. It's the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed, either physically or emotionally, which personally I think is a very sterile definition of being vulnerable. I find it to have there to be much more depth to it than just that and probably connected to a lot of other emotions. I know for me, vulnerability comes from courage. I kind of define that to be the courage, you know, be, to be able to be vulnerable, you have to first have courage. So I find vulnerability, vulnerability to be the courage to be your authentic self publicly, you know, and to kind of stay in that authentic self state through all the different parts of your life, which is something I've been experiencing with recently. So our guest today on the Sip and Chat Cafe podcast is the host of Fart Fetish Podcast, Raj. Raj, welcome, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Glad to be here. So before I we start talking about your own vulnerabilities, you know, I was reading over the the you know our the questionnaire that we shared with you that you filled out, and one of the things that you that stood out to me was that you said you had a passion for improving honest communication. Uh, can you like give me some context behind that, and like where did that come from? Um, sure, I think it came from a lot of places. I guess one of the most personal, maybe, you know, my own family, looking at my the relationship of my my mom and dad mm-hmm. um, is, you know, to to spare words in that in that direction that may be too negative. Like they're um they're not um communicative. It seems like the relationship is almost convenient. Like they didn't uh um you know, they kind of just maybe fell together. Maybe they were set up. I'm not 100% sure of how they came to be uh, together. But they don't exude what I think a relationship was. And I think that's part of, you know, wh- why it took so long for my own growth as a person. Because my model for love and a relationship at home wasn't healthy. It wasn't a good example. Um, neither for my own nurturing as a as a confident human being, mm-hmm. um, nor for seeing love in a, in a way that, um, I guess to use the same word is healthy, is a way that's positive, is a way, because I didn't even realize I wanted a relationship until I saw it in a group of close friends of mine, close friends of mine. Um, they, uh, you know, before that, I kind of thought, you know, I'll just be single. And I'm pretty sure that came from looking at my 
parents Mm -hmm. and thinking like, I don't need that kind of relationship. If that's what love is, if this is like, um, just essentially two people constantly arguing about money and business, essentially, you know, being a business family, it got in the way of this family a lot. I don't think that's the only problem of them, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely a significant factor. Um, so that was definitely one area where I'm like, when I finally realized it, when I finally, you know, went to enough therapy to make these connections, um, I realized that how important communication is and kind of the, it's such a thing that's talked about. People talk a really good game on communication, on authenticity, on these great concepts. I don't feel like I see a lot of people uh, walking that talk. They're not actually, you know, opening themselves up to when we get to vulnerability. It's like they're not opening themselves up to things that might hurt, things that are maybe, you know, connected with shame for them, connected with embarrassment, connected with many things. I mean, uh, I know I'm kind of jumping over, but the podcast being a very embarrassing subject, a very, Mm -hmm. you know, a subject, uh, a fetish that can carry a lot of shame. That's something I had to work through and, and, and realize and, and accept in myself. And then in doing so, I realized too, the importance of communication and how I would need to be able to talk to partners or, or even friends Mm -hmm. about that and be able to be open about that and, and not, not hide it. So I I know that was kind of a long answer for communication. There's so many, there's so many, you know, I've, I'm 36, 37 now, years old. It's, uh, it's, um, there's a lot of examples in our world, unfortunately, that show us, uh, have shown me anyways, that um, communication is super important and it's not, it's not being practiced as much as, as people think, I think. You know, I would agree with you that people do talk about these concepts a lot of, you know, showing up with your authentic self, being genuine, you know, being vulnerable. But I think we live in a society where for so long we have been taught not to do those things. Like people don't want to be different. People don't want to dis- make discoveries about themselves that set them apart from others. Because once you make those discovery, you either have to con- like live in hiding or do something about it. You know, and it's much, it's much easier in this world to almost just live in hiding if you're different. Um, Which goes back to why I think that courage is a huge stepping stone to be vulnerable, to be vulnerable. I think, I think what happened for my, for me, how I got to being more comfortable with being vulnerable was I just got fed up of having to be someone else eight hours a day. And it was really about going into work and being, not being my full self, like being this work guitar persona, which I just didn't enjoy. You know, you get tired of that. You get worn down by that. And then you have to find the courage to not do that anymore. Right. And then that courage, once you build that courage, that gives you the strength to just, hey, I'm going to show up as who I am, Come what may, I'll be vulnerable, I accept it, work through whatever happens, and I'll come out 
on the other side, regardless of what happens, a better person because you get kind of like the sense of freedom. I know for me, it's been a real relief and a sense of freedom to just be a Tara 24-7, not just when I'm indoors or at the grocery store, but I am just who a Tara is even when I'm at work. And that, to get to that, to to be, get to the point to be able to accept that vulnerability, accept that I was going to be that vulnerable, really took a lot of courage and conversations with myself about who I really wanted to be and how I really wanted to show up, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, one example I find it's it's not as, I guess, important or not as, like, impactful, but, like, a lot of people in, I find, the film industry, I find, are, I think, not confident in sharing an opinion that might go against the grain. Um, you know, we do have the benefit of the strike right now, which is mm-hmm. showing a lot of... Um, I guess you could say anti-corporate ideas. I the only problem I have is as someone who's a little more anti-corporate throughout the year, like I, I fear that that's all going to go away. Like people will fall right back into the same um, consumerist um, corporate. You know, th- this industry is mostly corporate. You know, mm-hmm. you can find some indies uh, people with money, basically, but it's otherwise um, a pretty like corporate raised industry. So if you feel like you have like socialist or other ideas, people might be saying like, Hey, don't talk about that. It's like, no, I, I want to talk about it. that's equally as important as the, you know, the messages of the movies you're making. Yeah. But, uh, as, as I say, it's not as, uh, important as the more personal interpersonal vulnerability. Um, but that is a more like business example, I suppose of, uh, what you're saying. Exactly. It's, it, you have to be a different person for different people. And I, me personally, I got, tired of that. I, I wanted to embrace, and I have a lot of privilege. I, I definitely acknowledge that being a, you know, I have a business family, so I'm not going to lose my job for expressing opinions or anything like that. I definitely recognize that not everyone has this opportunity. Um, but for the opportunities that I do have, I wanted to be the most me I can and not have to be different, a different person for different people. Like yeah. whoever, whether they be friends, you know, people I'm in a relationship with, I bring the same whole self to that um, other than maybe like physical contact or physical, Mm -hmm. you know, intimacy. Yeah. It's interesting when you begin to, when you begin to be vulnerable and just show up as yourself, you, there really is a cleansing process in terms of the people in your life. You know, some people will just, the people who have always accepted you, however you've shown up, they tend to stick around, Sure. you know, and then the others who are like, oh, I don't, I don't like this new Raj. I don't like this new Atara. I'm out of here, you know? And it, again, you're, it's a sense of freedom because you're releasing this baggage and you're really getting to see where the true relationships are in your life and those are the ones you really should be investing in. So definitely, definitely a process that has been painful sometimes, reward but definitely rewarding. Definitely rewarding. For sure. I in a in a similar vein, I, I was more feeling the pain of inauthenticity in that I wasn't making connections or I wasn't like really attracting anyone, um, whether it be romantically. And I had friends, but like, you know, they were 
I wasn't being myself yet. Yeah. So um, once I made that switch, it was it was very freeing, and things almost changed uh, very drastically. Like I was surprised um, romantically how mm. how fast things changed, and I thought, especially with my my specific interests, how just being you know open about the kind of auras and energies I want around me just made it so much easier to find those exact people and have them find me too. Yeah. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful place to be. So this is a good segue. Let's get into your specific interests. I know that your podcast, um, Fart Fetish Podcast Mm -hmm. is, is, the topic of that podcast is related to your specific interests. So do you want to share with me, um, when you started the podcast, like tell us about it, who it's for, how you're feeling about it. Uh, sure. It's so I started it in 2022, and I really started it because selfishly, actually, I was at the end of my rope creatively, um, and I just like always had this fetish in my background, and I was kind of hiding from it. And I never could figure out a project to kind of bring it to light anyways. So I think at that point, I'm just like, I'm going to do this show. I'm going to have this podcast and start exposing this this thought. Maybe, you know, even again, selfishly, maybe it'll, uh, you know, maybe I'll find women or maybe I'll find people that are into this, uh, build a community. So while it started selfishly, it grew pretty quickly into um, a community project. One of the third episodes was a was a guest named Damien who actually reached out to me and wanted to be on the show. Um, and really, from that point, the the kind of trajectory of the show changed into being an interview show and mm-hmm. having um, guests on every month to expose more nuances to this fetish, but even as we grow, more fetishes too. More, um, I definitely want to stay in the taboo range because there's plenty of people who are probably going to talk about some of the stuff you can think of like spanking or rope or other things that are pretty common and common feet. in the um, feet. Exactly. <laughs> even feet. Uh, feet has two podcasts actually, <laughs> at least. So, um, you know, it's, I, I really wanted to, um, once I got past the selfish reasons, I really wanted to have a show that could encourage real community amongst these people in, in this fetish, um, especially on the straight side. Because as I would learn later, um, the the homosexual fetish community is actually pretty well set up for community and socialization. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's the, the gay community in general. I don't know. Um, but they have real conversations. They have real exploration. They they see each other not as um, caricatures, I suppose, because unfortunately in the straight community, uh, the straight fetish community, I think there's a fear of, it could be vulnerability, could be, you know, the uh, quote unquote, no homo, whatever mentalities, but there's something very... Um, you know, wrong, I think, about the way these communities communicate, which is mostly about, you know, adult uh, pornography material or like talking about, uh, you know, models in the in the pornographic space. 
And you know, that, I, that's a fine conversation, but if that's the only conversation you're having, that's a pretty shallow world. And I think that was that the, the Fed, the podcast was a response to that as well mm-hmm. in trying to, um, open that up and, and yeah. Do you mean in kind of just trying to broaden the topic of, of conversation around fetishes within the straight community? Absolutely. And, and have people want to talk about, you know, origins and, and, you know, how, you know, how, how do they enjoy the fetish? Because I think, you know, there's an understanding of vague concepts like, oh, I like, uh, uh, the fetish in a dominating, a dominating context, or I like the fetish in a, um, a loving context, like a girlfriend, you know, farting around the house or something. Um, but that's it. Beyond that, I don't think, before this podcast, there was a lot of real conversation going about what these nuances, people maybe talked about like what they wanted in uh, role-playing, like, hey, can you role-play this scenario with me? Here's all the specifics, blah, blah, blah. A lot of that. But, and maybe people didn't want to, but I, I don't care. Like, I want to intellectualize this stuff. I want to think about it. Yeah, I always like to, as a, just in general, I like to understand the why behind things like um maybe this is a silly example but remember the movie joker where we his backstory the one with um yes joaquin phoenix i just i loved that movie because it really delved very deeply into why the joker became the joker because of all that trauma and abuse led him, led to the Joker becoming the Joker. And so I can, I get, totally get what you're trying to say that you want to understand the why and you want to intellectualize this because it's, there's a reason behind everything. And it's, you know, oh, I'm not just farting around the house. You know, it goes deeper than that. This goes into being a person, what a person enjoys, what a, what excites them, what doesn't. So yeah, I think it's fair to want to understand that and as a member of the community to want to share that and be taken seriously. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. And I think it really speaks to the, the again, the communication aspect and the self-acceptance aspect is like without this introspection, without this analysis of ourselves, we don't know what we're doing. Like you don't have to be a fetishist. A lot of us aren't introspective and we have no idea what we're doing. We're just doing it. You know, anyone who thinks like, I have to um, be married by such and such age, have kids by such and such age, have a, jo- a job that pays this much by such and such age, have a car of this status. Like, what do you, what, why? What are you doing? Yeah. Like, who is it for and what does it matter? Like, there may be legitimate reasons why you need those things, but what are they? Like, that's that's it. Like, think about Know it. what they are. Like, you know, when I, when I finally said out loud, I'm not a Christian, it was so freeing because I had like been going to church and reading the Bible and doing all this stuff because basically it's what I was raised to do. Absolutely. And it's like I didn't want to be doing any of that, you know. So when you throw off these shackles, you throw the shackles off, you look at them on the floor, and then you can decide which one you want to pick back up and like not be shackled to it. Because now you own it yourself, you understand why you're participating in this. Absolutely, there's a there's an upcoming episode. It hasn't been released yet. Um, it should be released by the end of this year. 
um, where I talked to a, a fetishist who's also into astrology. And when I first contacted, when he first contacted me, um, I was ready to write that off. I'm just like, astrology, that's so silly. What is that? And then I listened to him and I had this interview with him and I realized uh, in, this, in this same vein, like astrology has merits. There are people who actually study astrology in a way that's, they're trying, they're actually practicing astrology for self-improvement. They're not using astrology like, ah, this is what's written in the stars for me. Like they're actually using astrology in a way that, you know, again, people, um, another concept that I think people abuse or misuse is, is yoga or Ayurveda or oh other Indian gosh, concepts. Yeah. Like it's not a, like Ayurveda, for instance, it's not just about the, um, the herbs, which is a lot of people reduce it to, but Ayurveda is really a holistic body living. It's, it's, you know, sleeping right, eating the things that are good for your body. Um, and, uh, and just doing things in a way that are in balance with nature and, and what your, you know, your vibes, I don't want to, you know, the pitta, the vibe, you know, mm -hmm. all the specifics, but cause you know, all that's, I, you know, I think all of, I don't subscribe to a specific, like Ayurveda is the one, or this is the one. I just, I think all these things can have value, um, just like astrology, yoga, all these things can have value. It's just, are you digging into them for the right reasons? Mm -hmm. Are you actually, I think a lot of people dig into these things for distraction. They don't, again, instead of being introspection and introspective and thinking about life and thinking about things that are hard and might hurt, they just pick things that they think will be mindful but if you're not mindful, it's it's useless. It's pointless. Exactly. I mean, it. You know, introspection and getting better takes work. work. Of course. Improving yourself takes work, but it is also very painful. Looking at yourself in the mirror, looking at your role, and where you're. You know, we're all where we are today because of decisions that we've made. And what if we don't like where we are today? Having to accept the fact that we played a role in that can be very hard and very painful. So, you know, I understand I understand not wanting to look in the mirror. Um, sometimes I just, oh, you know what? I'm not going to look in the mirror this month. I'm going to take a break from that. <laughs> um, and then, of course, I know there's things that I shouldn't be doing, but I do them anyways because it's easier. That's, you know... You got to accept that and then move on from it too. I think we just really have to, I think we have to begin learning to accept ourselves and hey, either I'm going to accept myself as I am and not work on improving or I am going to work on improving. Either way, there has to be acceptance, Absolutely. you know, and a willingness to look ourselves in the, in, in the face. Well, and there's no perfect person. Like yeah. we're all, we all have beauty and we all have flaws. And once, once you can accept that, um, this is exactly what I learned. Once I accepted that I could, I could then communicate that to other people yeah. too, because it does, it does take self-acceptance and you don't have to like, you don't have to be a pinnacle. It doesn't, you have to be, you don't have to be at the end of your journey mm -hmm. for people to be accepting you. You can get there on the journey. I mean, I even, start. I don't think the end of the journey ever exists, right? That's, that's like, very I, true. Yeah, I feel that's like exactly. I'm always just start every morning I wake up, I'm like starting at step one again. <laughs> it's very true. I agree. Yeah. But you know, the thing about also about, I think getting to a point of being comfortable with being vulnerable is that you create, you and yourself become that comfort for other people. 
you know, I know that we've just had conversations um, in other places where when you're with someone who's comfortable with themselves, I don't know, there's just a certain energy. It opens up the conversation. You yourself become a safe place for that individual, you know, and I kind of think of your podcast in that way. It's like these individuals, they're coming on your podcast and it's kind of a space for them to even Maybe they already know what they want to talk about. Maybe they already know their feelings. But it's also creating a space for them to even think about more and question themselves about more because they have someone who is a safe place for them to listen. You know, I'm, I'm wondering how many people don't have that community or are just learning that this is something that they're interested in. And I think your podcast is a great jumping off point for people to figure out what's going on with themselves. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I definitely, I definitely hope that's the case. And, and yeah, I definitely do want to cultivate the safest space I can for, for all the guests that come on just because it is, it, I, you, you hit on it exactly. I don't think people do have this space. I think um, one of the guests I know specifically is is able to talk to their friends. Um, I think more of a Gen Gen Z uh, age person. So, you know, maybe the relationships are getting better between mm-hmm. um, between people, um, uh, you know, of the of the younger generations. But uh, I don't think that's the, unfortunately still not the norm. I think unfortunately people still have to um, work towards having these these communicate. And there's unfortunately a lot of societal factors working against them like i uh, a podcast i edit um he made a very good point about there's a significant amount of energy going into ensuring people make snap decisions and aren't quite fully satisfied mm-hmm. that's kind of capitalism in mm-hmm. in the nutshell it's like you know buy these things get a temporary uh dopamine hit and and just you know buy do it again repeat yeah. um that's kind of that's kind of my mom's you know um uh, kind of hoarding shopaholic story. Um, so yeah, I, you know, a lot of this stuff comes from negative examples, unfortunately, but, <laughs> but I, I find a lot of growth. Um, I, I think it doesn't have to come through like traumatic or, or, you know, whether they be big T or small T traumas, but, uh, I think unfortunately a lot of things do come from, um, things that are traumatic to us, whether they be smaller or large. Yeah. I don't think they're, you know, Everyone's trauma or experience is their own story. There's no trauma Olympics. That's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah. yeah. It's funny you mentioned capitalism because um, I was having a conversation. I know you, well, it's funny you mentioned capitalism, but I know she, I know you have your own ideas on relationships like polyamory and monogamy. And I was telling someone that I felt like, Monogamy was just an extension of capitalism, right? It's just a form of getting us to buy into this whole capitalistic idea. Do you want to share a little bit about your ideas behind relationships? Sure. Yeah, I I mean, the poly idea is fairly new to me, but as I started to go into these ethical non-monogamy communities, I really fell in love with and reason why I am champion championing championing <laughs> communication now because communication is so 
required in these relationships to make them work. And they're valued because people actually get to say what they want. You know, maybe, maybe two people really love each other in all the aspects, but they just don't connect on that sexual level anymore. Mm -hmm. And if two people can agree and accept and negotiate a idea to satisfy those sexual needs in a outside of their relationship and in a way that makes everybody feel good and not jealous and, you know, happy about the situation. I think that's wonderful. I think the idea of, of monogamy may slowly store, start to fade into, uh, you know, as, as appealing, because I think it is, like you say, capitalism, I think it buys into this ownership idea of relationships rather than, I keep calling it like a village idea. I don't know if it's the right uh, thought, mm -hmm. but like this community idea of, you know, maybe I don't want to be a dad, but maybe I have good qualities that I could pass on to somebody who does have a child. Mm -hmm. So if I'm in a um, polycule that, you know, someone does have children, you know, maybe I would be, you know, the, uh, I don't know if uncle would still be the right term, but you know, that kind mm -hmm. of relationship to that child of, of which I, again, I don't want to have my own child, but maybe, uh, maybe I can be helpful to somebody else's in their, in their, their child's development. You're definitely onto something with that because I'm an aunt and I live and breathe for it. You know, I'm, I, people are always telling me, oh, you would make such a great mom. You would make such a great mom. I don't want to be a mom. I don't want kids 24 seven. I don't want to take care of anyone else except me, my dog. <laughs> that sounds terrible, but it's the truth. You know, yeah. I, I have done my fair share of caretaking in life. So I really don't want children, but I do recognize that I have great maternal instincts and I love being able to shower that onto my nieces and nephews. So the, I think what you're, you're thinking of kind of already exists, mm. you know, in terms of the uncle and the aunt, but it's, it's in a very like tight box, you know, I do also like the idea of community, you know, community living where everybody, where you get to share and chip in. But when I, you know, I think the society, when they, they talk about relationships, everything is on the basis of sex. It's not on the basis of, you know, emotions or, or the different types of love. It's always on, you know, sex. Like a lot of women, you know, they have their partner or, or, not just women, men and women sometimes struggle with their individual partners having friendships, close friendships with people of the opposite sex. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's just the way that we think about relationships in this world. You're mine. You know, you belong to me. You you're, you only should have enough love for me. But there's so many different type, types of love that we have to share. And it's almost like illegal or, or you know, to, to spread our love around. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's partly why. Um, it all ties in, but I think that's why, you know, men have a hard time saying they love other men. And I'm not talking about it in like, let's go have sex way. Mm -hmm. It's just like, a, I can be vulnerable. I can be supportive. I can celebrate your successes. Um, 
even if they're, you know, you know, like guys celebrating, you know, getting together with someone, getting together with a girl, you know, um, having a relationship. I think there's a lot of encouragement for competition between men. And I just don't think it, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think it has to be that way. I don't think there needs to, um, be that, but on, on the poly point, I did the, in a, in a, in a sexual sense, I think the difference comes in with, um, ties into my, it, like my fetish, for instance, like I may love somebody who, um, you know, we may have a wonderful connection where, you know, we want to cuddle and, and kiss and hang out and do all those things, but maybe she doesn't feel comfortable farting or maybe she doesn't, you know, maybe she's not, uh, dominating. And I kind of like a dominating context to my, you know, sexual play. So I think that opens us up to like, maybe I don't need another intimate relationship, but maybe I need to, I don't know whether I see a pro dom or see a, a more dominant woman who is into that kind of play or other things. Um, I think, yeah, I agree that the sexual aspect's not the most important part of poly, but it is a, it is a very important part as well mm-hmm. for like sexual compatibility. And I think a lot of it's, it's probably the strongest reason why people go into like polyamorous relationships is to, um, is to probably satisfy something that they may not be able to get from what, you know, a primary partner as it were. To get their other needs met. Absolutely. You know? Cause you know, not everyone can satisfy every need and that, you know, applies to sexual needs as well. But I, 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 when I made that comment, it was just more so in application to monogamous relationships, because I think those are heavily, where we are today, those are heavily based on sex, on sex. You know, it's like the vo- focus of monogamous relationships. It's like, who are you having sex with? Who are you not having sex with? But that's the, uh, and the other side of that, though, unfortunately, seems to be the monogamous joke too though of after a certain point and in episode 20 after a certain point our relationship is sexless like is that the expectation does it have to be and again looking in polyamory there's there's couples i I think 70s 80s years old very i would say virile and and Mm -hmm. sexual couples like nudists like type and you know that could you know it's got its own like is that (laughs) but at the same time like fuck it, let them, let them have their love and and sex and joy and whatever. And I think that's the point too, is I see monogamous people and they're just kind of like, well, this is my life now. It's like, why, what is this? What do you mean? This is your life now. Like, aren't you, if, if it's your life now, you should be like, yes, this is my (laughs) life now. Like not, there shouldn't be a depression behind that, a sadness. Like if you got with the wrong partner, leave. Like, don't just sit there like, like people, it seems like people think, um, uh, misery is a virtue and it's like ridiculous. Like, what do you, th- what, it's not a virtue. That's not <laughs> nothing. To, there's no joy in two people being in an unhappy relationship, Yeah, you know, I just, and it seems like, you know, whether it's marriage or just a girlfriend or whatever, it seems like people feel like, mm, I don't want to try again or whatever. I don't know. It's maybe it's fear, but it's, it's very sad that it seems like. You know, how many comedians joke about like, oh, I'm not having sex or like, oh, my wife is this. We've been married for many this years. And like, what, what, is, what is that? How is that? This is the, 
I don't, I don't, I, I put random numbers on things, but let's say this is 50% of your life and you're miserable. How is that? Like, what is that? Uh, you know, I think that's also a generational thing. I know mm. there's a, certain, a generation of people in this world who are like, when you're married, you're in it. And yes, <laughs> misery is a virtue. But I don't understand why it's so difficult to just, to just leave. And, and I'm saying that because I'm not married. I don't have children. So it's easy for me to just say that. But also at the same time, I know the reason why I don't want to get married is because if I'm ever unhappy to the point where I don't want to be with that person anymore, I don't want to have to deal with a whole bunch of paperwork. I just want to be able to pack my stuff up and leave. You know, I really don't even kind of get why marriage is so important outside of children. Outside of creating a safe environment for children, I don't even know. At this point in my life, I think about it. I'm like, I don't even know why I would get married. Like, I don't need marriage to have a loving relationship with my partner. Just capitalism, I guess. Yeah, I, I hear the tax. I hear the tax breaks are good. I, yeah, I, I, I don't you know. know I, but... I, I, can't, I can't think of you know. And then people will say, "Well, they're marrying you. They're making this statement in front of everybody." I don't need. I need that person to make the statement to me. You know, I don't need it to be made. In front of everybody. And that commitment, I think, is is really, it's so rigid. And, and I don't think in a bad way. I think it's a, it's a beautiful concept. But I think it doesn't leave ourselves open to the very human idea that energy is fluid. Mm-hmm. And sometimes someone we loved in our 20s, we don't love in our 30s. Because maybe we changed a lot. Exactly. Maybe we weren't ready to be the person we're supposed to be. And now we're a completely different person. I feel that about my exes. Like I have great relationships with my exes. We still talk regularly. I don't see myself wanting to necessarily go back with either one of them because I'm a completely different person mm-hmm. than than what I am. And I think they are too. And as that happens, people grow grow apart and they they may not be um, they may not be on the same tree anymore. The same, they're branching in completely different directions, yeah. and that's okay. You know, that's that's not a bad thing. But being able to see that, realize that, and and make decisions about that, I think is important. And the the rigid concept of marriage in a in a legal or or you know whatever sense, legal sense, I guess, doesn't really leave that open. It doesn't. I mean, I I I don't think there's anything wrong with marriage. Of course, I just don't feel. I, what I feel is that this this society may, makes it seem like if you're not married or if you're not in a relationship or if you're not thinking, if you're like your goal isn't marriage, there's something wrong with you. You're missing out, especially for women. I mean, we learn that at a very young age that what we should be uh, moving towards is marriage, you know, and we waste, I just remember being a young woman and spending so much of my time thinking about being in a relationship, trying to get into a relationship and trying to get being married. And now that I'm older and I think about that and I think about myself as a person back then, that's not even really what I wanted. It's really not what I wanted. Um, so yeah, I think those, that's definitely something we need to reevaluate. Definitely. I think it's, again, it's just introspection. Like what, what, what do you want? Why do you want it? And, and then how do you get it too? But like really thinking about 
the things you want and why and are why are they important is are these good things people don't evaluate them things i think maybe because they're afraid of what they're gonna find and there's a, there's ugly yeah. stuff there i i have ugly stuff inside me you know as as you know safe space or whatever i create like i have ugliness inside me mm-hmm. we all do um it's accepting that and realizing that and 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 sitting and setting and living with it. I think people don't want to live with that. That's why we have YouTube and TikTok and what have you. And the TikTok being probably the most egregious just because it's it's set up for that. Shorts, shorts in general. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't want you to think or analyze. And I think that carries over into media, unfortunately, too. People don't um, have the strongest media literacy around uh, movies. They don't, um, I, I don't think, unless the message is like hitting people over the head. I don't think people take mo- uh, messages away from movies yeah. these days. It's so interesting you mentioned those snap decisions and TikTok because TikTok now has like a TikTok shop mm, sure. where, you know, someone, oh, I like these jeans and you can just buy it right then and there. Of course. You don't even have to think about it. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. If you, people stop and take a minute, take a lot of minutes and they can really see how, this world is just designed to turn us into consumers. Absolutely. Um, it's really kind of disgusting. Yeah. But <laughs> I do I, I do want to get into um, your vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. specifically around your fetish. Okay. If you if you feel feel comfortable talking about that. Yeah, I imagine so. Yeah. So why don't you share like I, I kind of know high level, but why don't you share with our audience um, about your fetish? And where it comes from and, you know, just kind of the discovery of it. Sure. Um, yeah, I've never been interviewed on my own show, so I, I guess <laughs> this is my opportunity. Um, I believe, I don't know for a fact, but I believe it started in at home, very young. Um, I remember my first fantasies being in kindergarten, um, so... That's kind of my frame of reference. I don't know if they started earlier than that, but that's at least that early. And my best thought for Origins is because um, my family's not very uh, private, I guess, around the bathroom or farting, and for that matter. Um, some people on the show you'll hear that in a more joking context. Damien's uh, father, I, I remember. Um, was more like a fart jokester or whatever. Mm-hmm. So kind of had that reputation in the neighborhood. My family's not really like that. It was just kind of like, this is a natural function and, and we, we, you know, we're not, you're not overly private about it, not overly sensitive about it, I suppose. Um, so I don't know if that's the origin for my fetish, but it's a pretty strong possibility. Mm-hmm. As far as liking domination with it, I have no idea. And that started just as early. Um, that my first fantasies in kindergarten, um, for, it was like pre, it was like for kindergarten, first grade, they were like combined. Um, it was, a. I remember it was a dominating context and that continued. It was almost always uh, a dominating context with all these fantasies. Um, in fact, I would say that, uh, despite the, the, uh, fart fetish being the banner name of the podcast, I would say I'm actually more of a domination fetishist. I would say domination is probably the. Um, the key aspect, the, the, the most necessary aspect I need, and then uh, farting being an element underneath that. Um, what other questions did you have? <laughs> oh, I have a lot of questions sure. now. <laughs> so does it have to be... Okay, so first we've got the domination. That's right. Which I, 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 I 
I get that one. With the farting, does the fart have to be a certain kind of fart? Or does it have to smell a certain way or sound a certain way? Well, some of the stuff I can only speak from experience, which is which is fairly limited. Um, I've done this with uh, an ex of mine and prodoms. And I found, so while my fantasies involve like a, a rancid or a smelly fart, I suppose, um, it's not, I've never experience that or anything significant in the, in those dominating contexts. So while I still want to, you know, explore that, I haven't as of yet. Um, it's kind of a hard thing to say, like, hey, can you be stinky? Like, like you know, like, it's a little invasive. Like, it's already an invasive thing, but it's like, it's well, a cabbage little much. And, and cabbage and For sure. and broccoli it, it, should it, work. It depends, too. Like, some people are just naturally, it, it just really, like, some things, I, I found out things. Like, I, I assumed partly that um, the... Uh, odiferousness of a of a fart is is partly hygiene like you know the the cleanliness of the ass area as it were to to not be crass but like it's a little late now um (laughs) but i was told this is not always the case because i i would think oh you use a bidet then you'll probably be fine but i was told by someone who does use a bidet that it doesn't affect them at all like they're it's not uh that's not a factor so I think it definitely does, uh, diet does come into a factor as well. And it depends on, again, going back to Ayurveda in a basic way, it's how your body needs. Because some people can eat junk food and be fine. And and some people can eat junk food and it's just going to like cause them stomach aches and whatever. Mm-hmm. So um, it's really individual in terms of that. Um, but back to what I like. So yeah, it. I think sound and smell are probably... Uh, the most important factors for me, um, sound being the most obvious to enjoy in a like non-live context over video, that is mm-hmm. to say, I guess. So yeah, I think those are the two that um, are the most important elements, I guess, for me. And, you know, the sound I think is partly because that mentally I think is what... Um, Sounds stupid to say, but I think that mentally is what solidifies the grossness or the stinkiness of it. Uh, and that's not always the case, but I think it's just a mental thing. Do you like like a... No, Or does it not. sound like a... <laughs> that's very funny. Uh, no, just something in the middle of those two, I think. I'm not... <laughs> no, but yes. So yeah, definitely something more audible. Something, you know, something louder. Something something more boisterous, I suppose. Okay. Um I think too it in a domination and mental level it is what sells that because when I say domination there's so many ways to go and unfortunately for me like I like it in the degrading context which is I just like it's stu- I feel like oh, I'm saying this like over a mic but like it's just what I like um, so I think that kind of more boisterous sound help solidify the kind of um, degrading or humiliating feeling because that is a lot of what I, um, you know, for whatever reason, enjoy sexually is the kind of, um, I think what could be construed as abuse, but I would use the term instead of uh, consensual non-consent. Yeah, it's so, consensual, so. Yeah, so it's it's essentially, um, a good example I can think of is like, let's say you like kidnapping. Like, um, you can't, you can't, you know, no, no, no. You like kidnapping. No, no, for sure. Like, let's say sexually you like kidnapping. You wanted to be kidnapped. It's very exciting to you. Um, you know, 
you could wait to be kidnapped and that's not safe. There's no, there's nothing good about that. Um, but what you could do is if you had a close partner who maybe were into that on the domination end, uh, negotiate that. And maybe the, you know, you set up every, every kind of activity you want to do. You, you let them know all the things, all the safeties, they're going to use a fake knife, whatever, you know, all the things are set up. It's basically a acting scene, Mm -hmm. but, um, maybe they don't tell you when it's going to happen, you know? So maybe, um, you know, maybe uh, you're coming home one night and you're going to, you know, someone's going to break into your house and, and they're, or they're going to already be in your house, you know, but that's the thing. So essentially, and I'm not saying I like this. No, but, or, but I'm just thinking of the, this and I would be so, if I didn't know when it was going to happen, just, I would be so anxious all the time. <laughs> for sure. For sure. No, I get that. I get that. So, I mean, it's kind of a, uh, it's a little bit of a too big example. It's It's more for like. Um, it, well, it can be used for anything, but, mm. but like, it could be like, um, you, when you're cooking dinner, I can spank you. Like I, I'm, a, I'm allowed yeah. in kink consent is very key. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about like, you know, uh, spanking someone or whatever, this is all consensual. You, you, you've, you're usually in a scene, uh, you're in a location, you've set this up. Um, you've talked about it. It's it's something you've agreed to. It's like going into a bedroom to have sex. But mm-hmm. instead of sex, you're going to do spanking and maybe you'll have sex after or whatever. Consensual non-consent would be like you're cooking dinner and I could just go whack, you know, and it's okay. Like we've already consented. We've already said that's okay. Okay. And you like you that's something you like. I like doing it. So um, it's been it's been negotiated. Consensual, and then it, you call, consensual non-consent. Consensual non-consent. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that, I mean, that's let that's me a, write that down. I need to bring that up with someone I know for sure. <laughs> uh, so that it's essentially like enjoying something that you may, you know, you may be struggling. You know, you you, you may be, you know, for, in in a context for me, like someone sitting on my face and, uh, you know, maybe kind of farting on me and ignoring me, or like maybe taunting me or making me feel like bad or whatever. Um, that's what I like. That's the context I enjoy it and. You know, for me, I see that as consensual non-consent because, yeah, I'm enjoying it, but the mental space I'm in is is one of uh, displeasure or, or right. you know. Right. It's like you're, it's, you're enjoying it physically, but mentally it's dis- distressing. Absolutely. And like I, I've written stories and all kinds of things, and that's the kind of, that's the kind of character I, you know, that's the kind of character I would embody is this yeah. like victim, this um, submissive as it were, or, or you know whatever other term. So you said pre-dom a couple of uh, oh, pro, pro-dom. pro-dom. Yeah. yeah. What is pro-dom? It's a professional dominatrix. It's a, ah. it's a, 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 the shortened, shortened term of professional okay. dominatrix. Yeah. So can you, do they offer this service of like, um, farting in your face? They can. It's, it's be, being a bodily function. It's unfortunately, um, not the most controllable. So I've been with doms for like four hours and then, you know, even had dinner with them and like they couldn't fart or whatever, even a gassy. Um, and then I've had like doms willing to like, you know, use a, use a, uh, some kind of apparatus or whatever to blow air up their ass and then fart it out. Mm-hmm. So it really just depends. Mm-hmm. Um, I think whatever dom you, you know, it's negotiable. Some doms will be into it and some doms mm-hmm. won't. I don't think it's their... I don't think it's any dom's primary. Like, there's no just I'm the fart dom mm. because it's a very limited business um, opportunity. This seems like a a niche though, it, like it, that needs to be filled. Like you that's need a, that's a question to ask because I'll I'll tell you um, in the kink community, and I've been in the LA kink community some. 
you, I won't, I've never met another fart fetishist. So, really? so they are, they are, I'm sure they're here in LA. They are not comfortable going out into the scene. I think one being a male submissive is already a little ostracizing just because society doesn't know what to do with a male submissive really mm-hmm. like uh, uh it's not it's not the most like there's tons i'm sure there's tons of, of males who want to be in a more submissive context maybe some you don't even realize mm-hmm. but going back to vulnerability i think it's shameful to talk about i, I think, think it's I was, embarrassing to talk about and you know it shouldn't be i was just about to say i'm sure there are loads and loads and loads of men who would love to be submissive but can't wrap their minds around it or don't feel like that would be accepted by their partner. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Um, I had a thought back to the pro-dom. Mm. What, we, what you need is to get a... What we need is someone who is lactose intolerant. Sure. Right? Yeah. Who's a pro-dom, and you just have them drink some whole milk <laughs> before they show up. Right. And they'll be ready to go. That could be, there could be other problems. Like hopefully, hopefully they're into all the uh, all the butt related things. But yes, yes. Well, you know, I yes, mean, you know, a little bit of scat never hurt anybody. Right, right. You gotta. I was trying to think of break a few eggs analogy, but I can't. I can't think of what it would be in this example. We're already into this. Mess. No, but yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's that's true. Like. I, I think, uh, unfortunately, the um, this is kind of what you're, uh, or kind of in the same vein of what you're talking about. I think there's a misconception among fetishists of how popular this fetish is. Like, I have no doubt there's many of us, mm-hmm. but I don't think there's that many. So I, I often hear, like, like if somebody opened a, a dating app that was just for fire fetishes, they'd make a ton of money. I'm like, just, I'm not so sure. Like, yeah. sure, it may do fine. For that community, like my show, like it, it's it's successful. But I would say we have maybe an audience of about a thousand people that I that I can tell. Like that's that's mm-hmm. our our um, analytics. We have about a thousand views per episode, average. You know, mm-hmm. um, and you know, in two years, I think what we're at seventeen thousand or eighteen thousand. I don't know, somewhere around there. So it's it's obviously people are listening people are interested whether they be fetishists or not i'm assuming it's more fetishist than not mm-hmm. but uh i know there's some like there's an episode with uh, kt the comedian and i believe he found out about the show because uh a girl he knew was doing like some kind of report on it i don't remember the exact details but i think he talked about it in the show so um there is outside interest on the show as well not to go back to the show but like there is a there is a you know a, a a audience for it so well why don't you share with our audience where they can find your show okay uh the easiest would be fartfetishpodcast.com i i there's other websites uh informative yeah informatively you can go to eproctophilia.org which the podcast is also there that's where fartfetish.fartfetishpodcast.com <laughs> redirects um and that's where i started like putting more informative resources so um, you know, Stephen King had an experience with his babysitter um, farting in his face, actually. So that's that's a uh, anecdote that's on the website. Benjamin Franklin wrote uh, about farting to the Naval Academy. There's interesting <laughs> anecdotes. James Joyce uh, had very naughty letters that he wrote. That's probably the most prominent example that people remember. Um, and there's other examples of people, um, fart fetishists through history, even, you know, uh, Pornhub. 
talking about the analytics of fart fetish in some of their uh, um, end of the year wrap ups of mm-hmm. like search terms. So it's out there. But a proctophilia. That's right. Do you want to um, define that for us? I I mean, as far as I know, it's just fart fetish. Like oh, really? That, it is. That is just the scientific term for fart a fetish. Proctophilia a proctophilia is what it came up for a fart fetish. That is right. Yeah. Okay, wow. Talk about trying to make things difficult. Well, I mean, I think it's better than corporophilia for, for scat. <laughs> I can't even, I can barely, like, make my mouth do that. <laughs> corpor. I don't even know if I'm corpor. saying it correctly, but it's like corporophilia. <laughs> That's rude. That's just rude. <laughs> That's just rude. Just call it shit fetish. Yeah, you know? just <laughs> at this point, at this point, at this point. Well, you know, I want to... Um, Really thank you for being on my podcast. This is the first episode and coming into it, I was a little nervous, but Raj, you're always such an easy, relaxing person to speak speak to and speak with. And so I really enjoy talking with you and the energy that we share. No, it's my pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. I'm very happy to be on your first episode. That's a great honor. As we wrap up, is there anything you want to say to our audience or, or share additionally? No, just, I mean, I'm an actor, rajjawa.com and uh, fartfetishpodcast.com. If you want to check out the podcast, whether you're a fetishist or not, I think it's helpful for everyone. Again, thank you, Raj, for being here. And to my audience, hit that subscribe button so you never have to miss a single episode of Sip and Chat Cafe.